This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hey there, everyone. If you are one of my normal listeners, I apologize for this podcast being delayed. It's been a very different kind of week. We're taking a one-week break from Colossians, and instead we're going to talk about something that's been on my heart for some time, something I believe is rooted in Scripture, and yet in my story, um, the story of many people here in our community in Eagle County, something that was brought into sharp focus last week. But before I continue, today is actually Wednesday, March the 8th, 2023. I gave this message on Sunday, March the 5th. I am Pastor Ethan. And thank you for joining with me today. So before we begin, just a word. My friend, this message that I'm I'm about to bring to you is, this is a heavy topic, but it's one that is deeply necessary. We actually began this topic um, two Sundays ago in the first part, the first message from Colossians chapter 3, and really doing that before I had any idea of what the last week was going to hold. So if you missed that message, the Colossians, the first message in Colossians 3, I really do encourage you to go back and listen to it because we laid some important foundation there. Now, what we're going to talk about might be where some of you are in your life experience right now. It's very likely that many of you, many of you have been there. And really, it's necessary because it points us to hope to life, to the light of God's goodness, even if this goodness is from a perspective that we may not, at least at first, that we may not want to hear. So, with love and great humility, let's jump in. It's a pivotal and powerful scene from the second um, the second of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's the two towers. And in this scene, it's the great battle near the end of the book. King Theoden, Aragorn, and what remains of Rohan's forces were in the innermost ring of Helm's Deep, facing the imminent onslaught of the countless orcs who have overrun the fortress. It's a moment of hopelessness and despair. And it's captured and put to words by Theoden in one of the movie's most stirring quotes. And Theoden said, So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Friends, um, this last Friday I spoke at the memorial for a precious young man who tragically took his life. Um, He was 16 years old. It's the fifth memorial I've done in less than two years, and all five of these, the cause of death, was suicide. And as I looked around the room of faces, many of them teenagers, uh, last Friday, I saw eyes full of grief, confusion, pain, and even stoic resignation. Because for many of them, um, this is not the first time they've been at a funeral for one of their peers that took their own life. And as I stood there, even as I spoke, looking at these faces, a version of Theoden's words came to mind. So much death. What can people do against such relentless despair? Where do we even begin? Friends, as disciples of Jesus, we begin with the reality that in Christ we are created and called to be people of hope. As we saw in Colossians 1, through Christ, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption In Christ, we are people who, by the grace of God alone, have been brought from death 
to life. We have been brought into God's new creation, and this new life is rooted in the very hope of God. And yet, many times when people struggle profoundly to understand how this hope works, what it looks like, and how it makes a difference in life today, this is just all, you may not have been there. But friends, and if, if not, I pray that may, maybe, maybe you don't. But so many people, many times, people struggle with just what this even means. Let me give you an example. Consider Psalm 46. This is well known, and there are many other scriptures with a similar message in the Psalms and in the Old Testament. But Psalm 46, 1 through 3, reads as such. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Friends, this is a powerful statement of hope, of trust, and courage. It speaks of an all-powerful God who is not only our refuge, but is an ever-present help in trouble. And yet, if we are honest, this brings a question a dilemma that we must not ignore. If God is our refuge and ever-present help in time of trouble, then where was God for this 16-year-old boy in his great time of trouble? Right? Where is God for his family right now? You know, a gift of Scripture is how God recognizes the profound struggle that this life can be. God never asks us to pretend that life isn't hard that we experience pain, hardship, anger, and doubt. And yet, in the midst of such times, time and again, we are invited into the hope that God is our refuge. In Scripture, we see this invitation into hope in the, in, in the unlikeliest of places. You know, maybe the best example of this is the book of Lamentations. And if you're not familiar with Lamentations, it's, it's pretty much the darkest point in the history of ancient Israel. Um, they are, they're at their, they're at their end. And the book of Lamentations is an impassioned cry out to God, even against God, against the injustice of this world, the injustice that, that the people of Jerusalem were experiencing. And at one point, the author looks around at the suffering of his people and he just cries out, look, Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? But then, Near the end of Lamentations, there is a confession so different from the rest of the book that it seems almost out of place. It's startling. Lamentations 3, starting in verse 18. And the writer says, So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. And so many people find themselves there. He goes on, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. And yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Think of that. This I call to mind, right? This I choose to believe by faith, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. 
Again, church, this is powerful. And this is a revelation of God's nature. But, 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 but what does it mean? I mean, how do we understand this in the face of such unrelenting suffering in the presence of our world? How do we enter into the good of this hope? And how do we share it with others? And friends, of course, we could talk about that for the rest of our lives. But this leads me to my big thought for today. The thing that I want you, I really encourage you to think about and consider. Friends, a necessary first step to entering into and experiencing the hope of God is honesty. It is honesty. We have got to be honest, right? As individual believers and as the church, we have got to be honest about the reality of life when we hold it up to our profession that God is good, that God is love, that God is a bringer of hope and freedom. Even more, we must be honest about the reality of life when we say things like, God is a provider, God is a protector, God is a healer, right? God is the God of answered prayer and miracles. Friends, this is crucially important because there are things um, that we at times loosely say and throw around in Christian culture that aren't just weak weak theology. They're just demonstrably not true. And perhaps at the top of that list is the idea, all right, this is a big statement, listen to me. Perhaps at the top of that list is the idea that we experience God's love, provision, power, presence, blessings, and goodness, okay, by God's intervention or his beneficial orchestration in the circumstantial details of our lives. And then we often add to that in response to our sincerity, obedience, and our faith. My friends, hear me. We are called to have gratitude to God in all things. Ultimately, God alone is the provider of all good things. And personally, I never, even with what I'm saying to you today, I never diminish a person's testimony of God's presence and provision in their story. However, that said, church, we must deeply acknowledge the reality that God, and however God's sovereignty works, that God allows unspeakable evil and suffering. Now, the word allows there is important. There are people, there are traditions within the Christian world, there are, there are theologians that in an in a attempt to, to defend God's sovereignty will basically argue that ultimately every single thing that happens in life, good or bad, whatever it may be, is a function of God's plan and, and God's orchestration when it comes down to it. I am, I am in the camp of people who, um, who reject that. Uh, but that's a, whole other, that's a whole other conversation. But here's the thing, right? God allows unspeakable evil and suffering. And we try to pretend that this isn't the case at least not to the degree that it is the case. You know, we may say things like, sometimes God allows suffering in order to teach us, discipline us, or grow us. Or, God doesn't always answer our prayer needs the way we would hope, right? as if that were the exception. My friends, that is not honest. The hard and honest truth is that God allows everything. We're not just talking about here the consequences of our sin or even the consequences of other people's sin that may unjustly impact us. But we're talking about every accidental tragedy, 
natural disaster that causes mass death and suffering, wars, illness, mental illness, suicide, injustice, violence against innocence, and the historic and current reality of untold human suffering and affliction. God allows all of this. And this is true. Okay, here's an important statement as well. This is true within the community of Christian faith, just as much as it is with the rest of humanity. Okay? Plenty of people would deny that that's the case, that somehow as Christians that we have, the, again, this beneficent shield of God's blessing on our lives. In fact, we pray this, this whole idea, of, you know, we pray for a hedge of protection around people, that somehow because we're believers that we are not going to deal with the trouble or even just the, just the randomness of unjustness and, and suffering that happens in the world. And my friends, if you just objectively and honestly and rationally assess the human condition, it's just not the case. In fact, at different times and in different places, in history and in Scripture, we see that Christians will suffer even more. In Matthew 5, we hear Jesus say this, God causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's Matthew 5.45. Now, in that verse, the sun and rain are both pictures of God's fundamental provision to all humanity. And the opposite unsaid is also true, that God allows evil and affliction to impact all of humanity, both the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, we love to hear testimonies of God's miraculous circumstantial intervention because it reinforces our desire of what we want to be true, right? Just this massive example of faith-based confirmation bias. But for every testimony of divine deliverance and provision we may hear, I will tell you that there are countless stories of unmet need, ongoing struggle, and chronic affliction. Church, over my pastoral career, I've worked with many families in places of great crisis, at times chronic in nature, unfair, unjust, right? Not their fault. I'm also, um, as some of you guys know, I'm a bit of an amateur historian, a student of history. And through both of those lenses, I will tell you, and not just me, many people have made this point, but friends, if we define or seek to evaluate the goodness and blessings of God in terms of desirable circumstances and miraculous positive outcomes, and we do that through the honest recognition of the totality of human experience, the only conclusion that we could arrive at is either that God is not good or not powerful, and the majority of people, including believers, have never been blessed. Friends, why am I making this point? <laughs> This is not uplifting, right? You weren't stuck in church, you know, having to listen to me. Some of, if you're still with me, thank you for not turning this off yet. Why are we talking about this, right? Just, Ethan, you know, heavy alert, downer alert. Friends, we're talking about it, and it's so important because core to the human condition is just, just this reality that we are prideful, self-centered, and we want to make everything about us. Everybody deals with this. And actually, this is one of the primary attributes of our old nature of our flesh that is no longer who we are in Christ. As such, in our human nature, 
We want to define God as the one who provides us with circumstantially good things and keeps bad things from happening. We want to be at the center. We and our circumstances, we want to be at the center of who God is and what he does. Right? The idea that if we do our part, God will do his part. A plus B equals C. And friends, you see this in virtually every world religion that has ever existed, and you see it throughout Christian culture. You see, as a result, the church says, well, yes, of course, this is true. If you have faith in Jesus and trust God for your every need, he will provide. And friends, that's just a a staple of most vacation Bible school curriculums. I can't tell you how many times over the years, right, we would do a VBS and I would be the Bible Bible group teacher and, you know, maybe we're some story out of the Old Testament, let's say Daniel in the lion's den, and, and we go through the story and basically the point is children. Just as Daniel trusted God and God protected him and delivered him from harm, so if you trust God, God will protect you and deliver you from harm. And my friends, that's just not true. And as a result, the world is full of people, now especially young people, Christian and non-Christian alike, who are either personally experiencing great suffering or they see it in others. And they come to the conclusion that God is, if God is even real, that he is not dependable, he's not good, or for a variety of reasons has chosen to turn away from their need. Many people over the last number of years have said that the primary reason young people are leaving their childhood faith is the teaching of evolution that they encounter in high school and college. I, I, I just don't believe that. Friends, a far greater reason people give up on God is because in their time of need, it seemed like God didn't deliver on a promise that it turns out God didn't make. See, if God didn't help my friend in his depression, or if God didn't protect my parent, my child, or or loved one like I was taught God would do, then why bother? I'll just look elsewhere. So church, what do we do with this? Is there no hope in this life? Do we just need to hang on, right, gut it out until we finally die and go to heaven? Church, hear me. Absolutely, unequivocally, that is not the case. Yes, there are times when we do just hang on by our fingernails of faith. And God understands this. Scripture doesn't sugarcoat it. And we are promised that God is with us always, even in the midst of such times, maybe especially And yet, the overwhelming exclamation of Scripture is that, yes, even now, there is hope. There is peace. There is goodness, light, and life. And this hope, biblically, isn't that God will deliver us from the struggle, even the affliction of this world, but rather, it is the humbling and life-giving calling of God for us, for you, for me, for our churches, to be bringers of God's hope and goodness and grace into the struggle and affliction of people's lives throughout this world. You see, my friends, we look around at the darkness of the world, right? maybe the darkness in our own story, and we like to cry out, God, turn on the lights. God, change things. And the response of God through Scripture is, My children, one day I will 
and that is in my time. But until that day, you are that light. Even in your own struggles, you are my plan to bring light into this world. I am working to, ch I am working to change this world, and I'm doing so through you. Years ago, I was at a conference, and I heard a talk by the founder of an organization called IJM, the International Justice Mission. Um, the gentleman's name, excuse me, was Gary Haugen. And IJM is a global Christian ministry working to end human trafficking and the sexual slavery of women and children. And Haugen said, I just, I'll never forget this in his speech. It's really the only thing I do remember from his speech. But he said, when it comes to God's response to this particularly horrific slice of the human condition, we are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. If light is to enter this place of darkness, God says through Scripture, it will be because you, as my light, as bearers of my love, chose to challenge this darkness. Earlier in Matthew 5, starting, I believe, in verse 14, Jesus said this. You've heard this. Very famous passage. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, church, the reality is that God does intercede in the lives of hurting people. God is working to turn on the lights of the darkness in this world. And he is doing that through us. So what does this look like? All right, just a few thoughts. Okay. Friends, first, and we really, this is really the point that we talked about last week. My friends, by faith, we must know and believe the goodness of what God has already done, what is already true of us in Christ. We must know and believe and live in the good of the fullness of the cross. Now, with that foundation, very simply, and empowered by the love, of, the love and the grace of God within us, we will seek to make the world a better place, starting with our own circle of influence. So just a few, a few thoughts of what this can look like. Friends, live out God's goodness and integrity in your own home, in your own personal lives, your own marriage. If there is work that you know God is wanting to do, but you've been avoiding it, stop avoiding it. Surrender and let God do the work of healing and restoration to bring you to a place of health, whatever that journey may look like. You know, nothing dims our light quite like our own unsurrendered brokenness. Look for opportunities to show compassion to people. Ask the Spirit to develop within you a desire to improve the lives of those around you. Seek out opportunities. This is one I, I talk about this a lot, guys. Seek out opportunities to get to know people different from you. Be a listener. Be a learner. Seek to understand where people are coming from. Be willing to let God challenge your own biases and preconceived notions about people. Be a friend. Be kind. You know, it's a cliche, but it's true. You never know what a person is experiencing. And your patience and kindness just may be the lifeline they need. 
You know, go read God's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And then each day look to the Spirit and pray, Lord, enable me today to love in this way. And not just those who love me back, but everyone I may encounter. Everyone. And when God presents you with an opportunity to love, to show kindness, and to serve, then take it. In my story, God has slowly equipped me over the years to love and minister to people in places of great crisis and suffering. So when that call comes, if at all possible, I answer it. God has likely been equipping you to express His light in different ways. Whatever it is, expect God to use you and be ready to say yes. You know, just following on that thought, get involved. Be a volunteer. Find a way to work with children and youth. Right, <laughs> children and youth aren't the only people that need need love and need and need people to serve them. But that's a big one, you know. On the opposite end of things, serve in a seniors ministry. If you're terrified by interacting with people, find another way. Drive a van, cook a meal, right? Help with some help with administration. Get to be known by your coworkers and your neighbors as a person who can be trusted to show kindness and compassion. Seek to structure your life in such a way that you have the margin and the bandwidth to be active in some way. If it's possible, it's not always possible, I get it. But if possible, do that. In the name and love of Christ, do your part. There's so much more here that we could say. But friends, lastly, may we be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. People need the hope of the gospel. People need Jesus, right? People don't really need Christian culture, I'm sorry, but they need the fullness of the cross and the amazing goodness of God. Now, God has uniquely equipped some people to share and communicate that message of Christ, but we all are called to open the gospel's door by how we live out the goodness and the nature of Christ, by how we love. Friends, let me end with this. As he begins his gospel, John chapter 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not and will not overcome it. My friends, Christ is the light of this world. And we are the light of Christ. Wherever we may be, even in the midst of our own struggles, whatever it may look like in our story, may we shine brightly. Church, I love you. I pray you have a wonderful week. And I'll see you again as as best as I can um, this coming Sunday as we will go on with our next step in our journey through the third chapter of Colossians. I love you. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you soon. 